Welcome to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. In this series, we will explore the technological advancements that are shaping alternative proteins. From cultured meats to plant-based proteins, we will talk to experts and innovators who are working towards a more sustainable, efficient, and kind protein production system. Join us as we dive into the exciting possibilities and challenges of the alternative protein production industry in the years to come. Welcome to yet another Protein Production Technology International interview. I'm Nick Bradley, the editor of PPTI, and I'm delighted today to be joined by Professor Ramiro Alberio. He's the research director of the Pluricells Technology Platform. Now, if you don't know, Pluricells is harnessing the efficiency of nature to power the cellular agricultural industry. The platform supplies high-quality, traceable, and stable pluripotent stem cells from sheep, pigs and cattle, all of which are available now under research or commercial license from the University of Nottingham. Ramiro, thank you very much for joining us. Um, I always like to find out about our interviewees first before delving into the technology. So could you please give me a brief explanation about your career path to date? Thank you, Nick, for having me here. I'm very pleased to to be talking about our work here in Pluricell. So I'm a professor of developmental biology here at the University of Nottingham. I've been here for about 22 years or so. And my area of speciality is reproductive biotechnology and, and developmental biology, which in other, ter- in other words, it means I've been working with embryos for a very long time. Uh, and my aim has been always to improve the productivity of livestock. So the technologies that we have focused on are primarily to do with improving the efficiency of reproductive traits in animals. And embryos are are a part of the vehicle to that. So we've been working with understanding how embryos develop and the cells within an embryo. And as a result of the work in in embryos and and the the cells derived from embryos, we created this um, novel source of stem cells uh, derived from livestock species that um, have been basically a discovery, a breakthrough in our lab, um, and, and that they found a, a very good application in, in multiple uh, industries, medicine, but also in the cellular agriculture space. And this is how we enter the cellular agriculture space almost by accident with the discovery that we made uh, in, in, in the labs. Okay, so how did you get into cultivated meat? Where did you first identify um, you know, the market for, for your stem cells in, in cultivated meat? Indeed. So when we created the cell lines, this is about 2016, 2017, the cultivated meat sector was really, really incipient and there wasn't much activity. We we didn't know anything about it, by the way. Uh, But we came across uh, a number of interested parties that contacted us uh, about our cells. We hadn't yet published the cells, but clearly, uh, you know, word got out that, 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 that we had something interesting and valuable for, for this industry. And we were, as I said, we were not familiar with the, the cultured meat sector at the time. But obviously, once we had those discussions with some of the, um, the companies that were wanting to use our cells, we immediately became kind of very familiarized with the sector. We saw the challenges that they were having. And, and one of the bigger challenges that we could see recurrently was the issue of sourcing the cells. And we saw an immediate opportunity here um, in that our cells, the cells obtained from embryos, are a, a very good solution to this sector because what you need to, 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 to do to in, in, in 
create your your lab grown uh, your your cultivated meat is is basically be able to differentiate very well into muscle and fat which is what these cells do so embryonic stem cells are our cells that are competent to making any any cell type and if you create your right uh, culture uh, differentiation conditions you can make these cells very efficiently and so this is how we started working in the in the culture cultured meat uh, sector we work with multiple stakeholders multiple um, um, companies working in different uh, parts of the sector and our our approach is very much a collaborative approach in that we want to ensure that we can build a, a very robust supply chain for this so we can see that the challenges are enormous and mm-hmm. having a good cell type to start the process is, is critical mm-hmm. So you, you transitioned from scientific discovery to to a commercial venture. I mean, how did that how, how did that come up? As I understand it, Pluricells isn't a company. It's a, it's a it's a platform. It's a product. Correct. So in academia, you know, you always dream that uh, when you make discoveries and and you find um, a, a, a new a new uh, invention, you create a new invention. Uh, it will have not only academic use or uh, help us understand principles of you know how the world works but also it will have a, a, a practical application and that's not always the case but in the case of the stem cells it's very clear that um, they are a, a potential vehicle for multiple applications in animal biotechnology but in the sector of cultivated meat um, that's that's very obvious because we can start the process of muscle differentiation and fat differentiation very efficiently so we had to transition from a, a purely a, uh, having pure academic questions um, regarding how these cells maintain pluripotency pr- properties, which are very much at the molecular level, understanding how the cells communicate and, and decide what they become in an embryo, to then apply to specifically a solution or a problem, which is to, to engineer these cells to undergo differentiation in a lab to make a product. So that's been a very interesting journey. It's very nice and satisfying to see a, a, a discovery made on a bench and a fundamental basis to, to come up with a solution to a real world problem, which is the supply of meat globally, which is an increasing issue because of the increasing demand globally, uh, but also the, the issue that we cannot continue to produce meat in the way that we've done it for the past 50 or 100 years we, we're just running mm-hmm. out of space and it's too many cows around so we need to come up with alternative ways and we feel that this is a solution that, that really will help compensate for the increased demand uh, globally mm-hmm. now in your time that you've been focused on the the cultivated meat sector how have you um, witnessed it maturing it, it has matured in, at an incredible pace so as i said i entered this uh, area in 2018 or, or thereabouts and the past five years has been a tremendous um, growth uh, not only at the level of uh, investment uh, by multiple companies but also the awareness out there uh, by the general public and, and interests uh, parties such as the regulator um, governments uh, government agencies there is a lot more understanding now that this is a proposition that can really make a difference to the supply of meat globally, as well as creating no, new opportunities uh, for, for industrialization, for producing food in, in, in ways that we'd never imagined it, w- it would be possible, and, and, and really uh, uh, offer, offer um, a product of high quality and actually healthier product, potentially a healthy product, that uh, couldn't be possibly uh, contemplated a, a decade ago. I mean, this was famously presented by uh, Mark Post, uh, the Dutch scientist in 2013, 
as a kind of madman idea. And all of a sudden now we are we are all trying to achieve exactly what he anticipated as a true visionary. And I think there is a true, true potential because of the amount of input that there is in terms of investment, but also uh, know-how uh, in the different aspects relating to making this meet that I think, uh, yeah, this could be a really great success story um, for the world in terms of changing the food system. Mm-hmm. Well, we're 10 years on from that development from uh, Mark Post. I mean, that seems like a long time, but in the whole scheme of things, it's just a, it's just a minute um part of where this technology can take us to. Um, Now, 2023 has been a significant year for cultivated meat. What stories or breakthroughs in particular have stood out for you, Ramiro? Well, uh, this is again showing at the pace at which things are moving. I mean, the fact that we had two regulators, the Singaporean Food Safety uh, Authority and, and, and the equivalent in the US, to approve the first products coming out of this industry is just um, incredible, incredible, mm. uh, incredibly um, in, in endorsing a, a, a possibility of, of making this meet in this way and opening avenues for new investment, new product development, new technology investment. The fact that these products can be commercialized and are safe and can be really put to the public is, is, a, is, a, is a massive boost to the industry. And so I think there will be many other countries following this uh, initial approvals uh, clearly there is a competitive edge to this type of uh, decisions and i think those initial ones have really um, um, are, are are pacing the the activity in this in this area uh, in 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 amazing way so i think um, there's more to come from many other countries now that uh, the first few countries have already opened the door to this type of commercial products and in that sense is 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 a key year uh, 2023 because he has seen the first products approved by at least two two countries and and so going forward uh, you can only see this area expanding yeah of course you're referring to upside foods in the usa right. and good meat um, who had their cell cultivated chickens product um, approved earlier in the year and then good meat i believe was in december 2020 i think they had that reproved in in singapore so yeah <clears throat> you're quite right there's um, lots of interest from lots of countries australia um the UK. Um, obviously, Europe is going to be a slightly trickier matter. Um, now, onto your product specifically uh, and what you offer the industry. First, I'm going to ask a dumb question. Firstly, what are embryonic stem cells? That's a good question. And uh, it's always good uh, to, to explain a bit the biology behind the cells. So embryonic stem cells are cells that have um, um, the potential to differentiate into any cell of the body. So they exist in an embryo for about a day or, or two days. Uh, at around the seven days after uh, fertilization. And these cells are totally uncommitted cells in that they haven't got the proper identity. They don't decide yet what they will do. In in about two or three days after the moment when we retrieve the cells is when these decisions are made in, in the embryo. But we are able to capture those cells into uh, our dishes in the lab at the stage where they're completely naive in the sense that they can become anything we tell them to become by uh, applying specific um, protocols. So the beauty of these cells is that they are naturally programmed to differentiate into something, first of all. And secondly, they are able to grow forever because these are naturally uh, cells that are able to what we call self-renew. That means one cell gives rise to two daughter cells every time it divides. Naturally, Mm -hmm. in the embryo, that's what they do for a limited period of time. What we can do in the lab is expand that period of time indefinitely. And the beauty of that, it does basically, 
as as are the, the motto of our of our technologies pluricells is harnessing the power of nature is because cells are programmed to grow in these conditions and they're mm-hmm. programmed to grow in an undifferentiated state so it gives us the best of both worlds the cells can grow like to grow and will differentiate when they're told so so in that sense for a manufacturing process like um making meat in uh, in 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 factory in, in the lab is perfect because you want to start with the best raw material which is a cell that can be instructed to become either fat muscle or, or fibroblasts at will in, a, in the proportions that you decide to mix them then to the manufacturing end product and this is in big contrast to alternative uh, sources of cells which are typically myoblasts or myotubes or, or fibroblasts uh, uh, obtained from samples and biopsies where typically these cells are fully differentiated or at least committed towards the muscle lineage. But they have a limited lifespan. And, and so that restricts a little bit how much you can achieve in the lab. It requires additional manipulations, additional genetic modifications potentially, as, as is in the case in the upside, and uh, tinkering. And uh, that makes the industrial process quite sophisticated and and challenging because it will mm-hmm. be quite variable from batch to batch etc etc so we try to remove all of these aspects by playing with the features of pluripotency of the cells and the and the constant uh, growth of the cells in a stable way that we think is quite instrumental for making this process very uh, efficient and where are you sourcing the cells from so we source them from embryos that we create in the lab based on um, um, processes called in vitro fertilization, or they can also be obtained from living animals. It depends on the situation and and the requirements by the customer. But basically, these embryos can be retrieved from living animals, and and these embryos, as I said, are not even implanted yet. They're only seven days old by the time we retrieve the cells from the embryo, very, very early, within the first week. And these embryos are then, um, we harvest the cells from those embryos and we start expanding them to make large stocks. And those stocks mm-hmm. are then characterized and, and distributed to the different companies. Are there any specific criteria for selecting those um, cells for the purpose of cultivated meat? Absolutely. So we, we, the cells have to go through a number of um, stringent criteria for stability, long-term stability, uh, karyotypic um abnormalities are, are eliminated, uh, cell lines that have those are eliminated, and also a set of markers. So we have a number of molecular markers that determine that the cells are pluripotent. That means that they can differentiate into muscle and fat or whatever tissue you decide to make. And they are um, expressing them homogeneously. That means that all the cells in the culture are equal. And that makes it a very robust product because you're starting from 100 cells that you have, 100 cells have the chance to make muscle and fat. So mm-hmm. it's a very homogeneous culture. And these are the criteria that we, we put the cells through before um, cataloging the cell lines and making them available for, for the industry. There's lots of different um, cultivated meat producers out there, and they all source their cells in different ways. I mean, what are the advantages of um, them using your way of um, developing the cells as opposed to the other, the other methods that they're, they're employing? Yeah, so traditionally, the, the, the cultivated meat sector has based its work on, on primary cells or um, stem cells from the muscle itself, from muscle biopsies uh, or skin biopsies um, to extract those few um, stem cells in the tissue. And that, it's it's fine, but it, it, as I said before, for an industrial process of the magnitude and scale that we are talking about, is it makes it quite... Um, 
um, challenging to come up with a, a very reproducible and efficient process. So it is possible to do it that way. And, and as I said, there are many prototypes and many companies that are, are basing it, but they are finding it very challenging because of the reproducibility issues. We think that either stem cells or even the new coming induced pluripotent stem cells, which are an alternative to embryonic stem cells, offer this opportunity that the cells are able to grow long term in a very stable fashion and they can be expanded to large, large, very large quantities before they really exhaust and exhaustion is really a rare, rare, rare event because it happens really only after many, many cell passages. So this offers an alternative, which is a very uh, robust product, very standardized. Every stem cell line that we have is is equal to the other stem cell line because stem cells is what they are normally. They, they all look the same by the time they are cataloged and, and, and released. So it's a very reproducible product. You can you can buy a new stem cell line today and, and, and it will have the same features as the one that you had before because the standards are the same. Is, is what the cell is programmed to do. So that really offers a, a step change in the quality of the starting material for making this, uh, this challenging product, which is the muscle and fat, which is what the companies normally take from us, our raw material, and they decide which methodology they apply to making the final product. That will be obviously depending on each company, how, how they approach that. And, and, and this is typically proprietary technology. So different approaches will exist depending on the type of technology that, that they decide to use. The important thing is that the cells going into the process have to be as competent as possible for making the muscle and the fat. Otherwise, you're already starting with a handicap and, and, and the end product will not be as good in, in, in nutritional quality, but also in, in the efficiency of achieving the end product, which in, from the point of view of manufacturing, that's very important. So we think starting with the best material possible gives you the best chance of getting the efficiency that you need to make this, this, this new, these new products. Mm -hmm. Now, in developing this platform of cell lines for the industry, presumably there's been a, a lot of collaboration involved? Correct. Uh, so this is our key um, part or contribution to this field for um, as pluricells because we have invented the technology for deriving the new cell lines and establishing these new cell lines. Now, the industry needs to make sure that this can be done in a very cost-effective way. And so we have partnered with companies that make the media, for example, which is the, the nutrients that the cells require to expand in order to make it more uh, finely tuned to this type of cell lines. And it can be uh, adapt, uh, customized so that it can be more cost effective. And we also reduce the, mini, um, the amount of manipulations that the cells require by using the very specialized media that are, have stable components in them. So reducing the amount of feeding, for example, from you know, every day of the week is what we do normally in our labs. But for this technology, we are developing something that we do it every other day. So that reduces manipulations, reduces manpower, reduces the cost of medium because there is less medium going into the system uh, and reduces waste. So uh, we're trying to work with cultured um, media companies. We also work with people uh, working on the uh, engineering, for example, of bioreactors to work in, in, in 3D conditions, for example, for growing the cells. We work with companies working in the scaffolding field, which they, in, they might de design scaffolds for differentiating the cells in, in, in different ways. So our cells are going into these different products. So we are coming up with solutions to the entire supply chain by working with different specialist um, companies that de develop specific technologies. And so we hope in the long term, this will become like 
the analogy to, to car manufacturing, there will be a part, a supply a chain made of multiple components that will be supplied to the different brands of cultivated meat that they will assemble together their approach to making the specific product with specific nutritional value, qualities, etc. So this is very much a, 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 an harmonious way of growing the, the supply chain by interacting with the different stakeholders and make sure that we have a system, that a solution that will eventually lead to the, to the final product that will be affordable, of good quality and tasty. Otherwise, this is just a, a, not going to go very far and, and it's important the collaboration that um, we're doing with multiple stakeholders that uh, grows f even further because innovation is is everything in this field and there's a lot of innovation in different aspects so we think that is a strong um, value in working with different stakeholders to to improve the products now you're a supplier within this supply ch supply chain so you're not for instance differentiating the cells into specific tissues such as muscle or fat that's the job of the cultivated meat producer um, so what are the advantages um, of working with you as opposed to perhaps uh, in-house cell line development correct so i, I think as, as uh, in every industry when you have specialized suppliers they know exactly what they're doing in their business because that's what they specialize in and i think we believe there is a, a strong advantage in working with especially supplier of different aspects of the of the of the supply chain of your complex product in this case it is a very complex product really uh, and we believe by us specializing in the cell line uh, derivation there is a lot of aspects relating to improving um, the quality of the cells the stability of the cells the sourcing of the cells that to someone that is trying to make a a final product, let's say a meatball at the other end, it, 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 it potentially represents a complication because there is so many intermediate steps that, mm -hmm. uh, is, as I said before, with manufacturing a car, I mean, BMW doesn't actually make every single part of the car. It, it makes, it assembles a lot of products that is sourcing different materials from different specialist manufacturers because they get best designs and the best yeah, customizable components for their product in the end. So we think having a, a highly differentiated supply chain will make the best use of the speciality and, and the know-how that exists in different aspects of the supply chain to make this this product, this, this industry very efficient. It's very hard to get everything in-house. I mean, it is possible, uh, of course, but I think it will be it will be quite challenging to keep up with the pace of advance in the different aspects. Uh, in a single place. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it is possible, but I believe there is a place definitely for individual suppliers because this, we're talking about an industry that has at least, at, uh, uh, as of last month, there were 200 companies trying to make cultivated meat. So there mm -hmm. is such a large number of companies trying to make this that clearly there is a place for specialist suppliers to, com to, to accommodate for the different demands um, that different companies have around the world in, in supplying. And the, again, sourcing cells is not the same in you know Singapore, in the UK or in the US. There might be different conditions uh, that, that might limit uh, how much they can do in-house. So having a global supplier like Slurry Cells to, you know, we're shipping cells all over the world is quite a reasonable proposition, I think, for many of these companies. And I wonder how many of those 200 companies will actually end up producing a product or whether they'll just transition into becoming a supplier within the industry. It's that whole build versus buy debate. Now, Correct. this is a conversation that we have to have. Um, embryonic stem cells require you to destroy the embryo. Um, can you explain what that entails? 
Yeah, I think it's important to clarify what embryonic stem cells are and where they come from. So basically, seven days after fertilization, so that the egg and the sperm come together, the egg will undergo a number of cell divisions and we will create a, 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 a blastocyst. We call it the blastocyst, which is a ball of cells, about 120 cells or so, that are uh, undifferentiated, completely uncommitted to any lineage. And at that point, the embryo is extracted uh, uh, from, removed from the index, in, if it's made in vitro, it's in a dish and it's just dissociated and the cells are individually expanded. So now these cells, uh, which were part of an embryo, that completely non-committed cells, will have individual cells growing as embryonic stem cells. Now, some people might have issues with the fact that we have to destroy an embryo to make meat. Uh, mm -hmm. It's important to clarify that if, if we do this uh, in an efficient way, the amount of meat that can be produced from a single cell line is quite large. Uh, and it's been calculated, there's a number of publications describing the, the potential of, of, of making meat from a single cell line. And it's in the excess of uh, between one to 5,000 tons of meat from a single embryo. Now, mm -hmm. remember that that embryo was not even differentiated into anything. This is a ball of 100 cells. A thousand to a five thousand tons of meat that represents almost, uh, um, you know, about five uh, ten thousand cows. So we are saving effectively uh, ten thousand cows from going to slaughter by using a single cell line to produce the meat potentially. So I think there is a in terms of the justification and how this embryo can really satisfy the demand of meat that we currently have, reducing the environmental impact of having to raise 10,000 cows and the welfare issues regarding having to kill a cow after growing and raising the cow for three years. I think it, it really clearly is, um, 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 uh, justifies the use of embry embryos at that particular early stage to satisfy this increasing demand. So I think it's very clear that embryonic stem cells, uh, because of the way they are sourced and where they are sourced, don't represent, in my view, a, a serious ethical um, problem, uh, considering the, the offsetting of um, number of animals having to go through the same process to obtain the same output, which is this amount of meat in the end. So I think in that sense, embryonic stem cells are a very well justified product, out, a result of ingenuity and, and innovation in, in science that has enabled this solution to a, a real problem, which is satisfying the demand for meat. So mm -hmm. um, I, I, I feel quite confident that embryonic stem cells are, are ethically um, acceptable for, for, for this type of work. And do you sense that the uh, cultivated meat producers out there are coming around to that idea? Because there was this whole FBS debate, fetal bovine serum. Um, they seem to be moving away from that to the primary um, method of extracting the cells. Do you see them coming back towards this? Way? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. Uh, the, the cell lines that we produce uh, don't require any serum or any animal-derived products. That means that we are producing cells that uh, don't require animal-derived products. So there's no need to sacrifice an animal to, to grow these cells. In the past, it mm -hmm. used to be necessary to, to grow cells with FPS, fetal bone serum. That's no longer the case. And so that reduces the, the, the input in terms of requirements from existing industries to, to, this, um, to this process specifically. Um, now, that's the ethical considerations. What about the regulatory um, considerations? I mean, what's in place at the uh, moment in terms of frameworks um, for, for the production of um, cultivated meat from embryonic stem cells? 
Yeah, so the regulator is, is interested in that the product that we make are safe. And so to prove safety, you need to demonstrate that everything that goes into the culture medium is demonstrated to be safe. And, and this is a very um, um, good way to um, uh, design your technology. So you know what you needs to go in, needs to be in a perfectly acceptable for the human, human, human consumption. So we have protocols where all our um, um, inputs or our chemicals used are uh, of food grade or, or even pharmaceutical in some cases, but they're not animal derived. That means that they comply with all the food standard agency requirements. And that's mm -hmm. essential uh, for any food manufacturer that all the components are going to be um, food grade. Okay, so, so your product wouldn't have to be um, uh, certified by FDA in the USA or SFA in Singapore or EFSA in Europe. It's already well, we, we, yeah, the shelf we, ready we, to go. Yeah, we, we have to demonstrate. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, what I'm saying is that all the components that we're using are food grade. That means, yeah, it will be certified because they have mm -hmm. to certify it. The point is that we satisfy that certification. So we're fine. Mm -hmm. um, now... Recently, there's been uh, certainly this year, although there's been a lot of breakthroughs in the industry, there's also been some um, some pushback. I mean, what are your opinions on some of those European countries attempting to block um, the production of and sale of cultivated meat? I mean, in the past year, we've heard about France, uh, Italy, and more recently, of Romania leading that charge. There's a, there's a yeah, lot of work to do in education, isn't there? For meat globally, <laughs> so there is no risk for the conventional meat producing countries. Uh, not to be affected by this technology. This technology doesn't compete. It's a complementary technology that will try and help reach the gap in the increasing demand for meat globally. Mm -hmm. I think meat production will continue. The specialist breeds will continue to exist for, for decades probably to come. The real problem that we have is that people want to eat meat. We're going to reach 10 billion people by 2050, and we need to give them meat if they want to buy meat at a mm -hmm. reasonable cost because it's an important source of proteins for, for human nutrition. Therefore, this technology will only help bridge that gap. And there is no fear. There should be any fear from conventional producers that this will actually replace conventional livestock production. I don't think that's the case. Mm -hmm. I think what's probably driving this is the uh, lobbyists within those the countries. I mean, how can you see the cultivated meat sector working with um, the traditional livestock agriculture industry? I mean, we heard from this recently um, from Robert Jones at the Future of Protein Production Live in Amsterdam. Um, you know, he didn't doesn't like using the word alternative. He wanted these to be called complementary proteins. And he gave a very good presentation about how the two sectors can actually merge and work together for the good of people, planet and animal welfare. I mean, Absolutely. Well, complementary is exactly what um, follows from my previous answer in the sense that sourcing embryos, for instance, I, I, I do embryonic stem cells. So I need to source the embryo from a living animal. And so I can source <laughs> embryos from conventional uh, you know, meat, meat producing animals, uh, uh, different breeds and make cell lines that can be used them to produce cultivated meat. So I will have to work with uh, farmers to source those embryos. And this is a, a, another source of income from farmers, obviously, uh, because there will be uh, giving these embryos to this industry. There is a potential mm -hmm. income source for them, but also importantly to preserve certain breeds uh, by having specialist uh, type products made of specific breeds. So we need to maintain those stocks. So there is mm -hmm. definitely a, a, a work to be done together with um, conventional farming systems to to supply the this novel type of 
meat, produced in a different way. It's not novel meat, it's meat, but it's just produced in a different way. That mm -hmm. includes the participation of, of, of um, conventional producers because those embryos need to be sourced from somewhere. Mm -hmm. um, Romero, obviously you keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the industry. I mean, what future advances or breakthroughs do you anticipate in this, uh, this particular field, this dynamic and exciting field? I think what I see from uh, the the progress in the past five years of the how how the industry is developing, I can see a lot of progress in the area of supply chain specialization, which will make the process way more efficient. So financially uh, financially viable products are essential so that we can have a, a product that is sold at a good cost. And having very complex and expensive processes, it goes against that. So I think. High specialization in multiple aspects of the supply chain will be breakthroughs in terms of the type of technologies that they are offering that was not available five years ago. I mm -hmm. think another area of specialization and breakthrough will probably be the area of um, the, 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 the final product development. So product development has changed a lot from the very initial a very, very simple prototypes to much more elaborate products in terms of the nutritional value of these products, uh, the, the, the taste, of course, and the textures. And these are areas that really, I think, is where the public really will play a big role in deciding whether this is a this is a valuable proposition as, as an alternative or not. And, and I think there is a lot of emphasis going towards that. Mm -hmm. And finally, um, what are your own personal goals and ambitions? If I were to come back to you in 2050 for another interview, um, what would you like to have achieved by then? Well, I, I, as I was saying before, as a scientist, what you want to see is that some of the discoveries that are, are made in your lab um, can help explain things, uh, resolve problems, or, or address current issues. And in this case, I think the discovery or the development of these embryonic stem cells, I think, represent the... Um, a, a, a invaluable alternative, a very valuable alternative to to in, in, in starting this process of, of cellular differentiation into muscle and fat. So, if in ten or fifteen years' time I, I was to be um, trying to daydream today and, and expect um, success, would be that we have I don't know one to five percent of uh, the total uh, meat production be made of um, cultured meat and preferably from the cells that we have invented because we think uh, if it was to supply anything between one to five percent it would be an amazing achievement that's a vast amount of meat that needs to be produced but that will help satisfy this increased demand that we have and so if it's going that way and it helps reduce the number of animals that need to be killed or raised or or the amount of you know rainforest needs to be chopped so that we can grow these extra animals then i, I will feel very satisfied that we have made a massive contribution to to helping the planet um you know stay in in, in balance mm -hmm. well professor romero alberio thank you very much for joining us for this interview it's been fascinating uh, i'm sure if people have any follow-up questions they can reach out to you on linkedin but um just wanted to thank you for spending some time for talking with us um this afternoon Thank you very Thank much. Thank you, Nick. That was great. Great pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Future of Protein Production Podcast. We hope you gained valuable insights and knowledge about the innovative technologies and practices that are transforming the way we produce protein. Don't forget to subscribe to Protein Production Technology International, our multimedia magazine, and follow us on social media to stay up to date with the latest news and updates. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Thank <laughs> you.